0: Hello and welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa podcast where we spotlight the voices of innovators and entrepreneurs shaping the marketplace across the continent. This week we are featuring Robert Bayigamba. Robert began leading Monumental, a manufacturing firm in Rwanda following the country's horrific 1994 genocide. He took over in a time of national crisis, economic distress and complete instability. But through his honest work and integrity, Robert has grown the company and eventually became its primary owner. Today, Robert shares how he rebuilt the company and restored his personal faith in the wake of immense tragedy. Let's listen in. Let me show you Africa as an entrepreneur. Africa is a fundamental part of the global economy. There are people building businesses in Africa, continental businesses that are huge businesses.
1: So it's a vibrant, young market with lots of energy, talent, and skills.
0: What can I do? What role can I play? What is my purpose?
1: When we put our faith and our trust in God, He is the master strategist and always directs our path.
0: God went after the very thing that could become a Mammon stronghold in my life. He said He wants that.
1: And every time it gets too difficult, I basically say, you are the one, this is your business, God, you will get the glory.
0: There's a way the world does business and there's a way we do business. So come, come see that Africa. The size of our continent, along with our diverse cultures, provide us with rich insights into God and his creativity. We are excited to highlight the many influential voices of innovators, and entrepreneurs across Africa. We will also feature some entrepreneurs from around the world who we think have important things to say, no matter where we call home. These are the stories of how businesses flourish and how his call to create continues to this day. Come for the content. Stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur.
1: Welcome to the podcast. My name is Ndidi Muneli, and I'm so delighted to be joined by Chini Ugoji. Chini, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you as my co-host today. And I know you've been doing great work with the community in Nigeria. And we have a very special guest with us today. Robert,
2: welcome. Thank you very much,
1: It's such a great pleasure to have you, Robert dialing in from Rwanda. And I know you're such a proud Rwandan, Robert. You are the chairman of the Rwanda Association of Manufacturers, the former chairman of the Rwanda Private Sector Federation. You know, your resume goes so long. President of the National Olympic and Sports Committee of Rwanda. And you know, you've seen the country go through massive changes in the last few decades coming out of the genocide. We would love to kick off from that perspective. What has helped Rwanda rebuild from the tragic events it went through in the 1990s? I've been to Rwanda many times, and each time is such a breath of fresh air. And as an African, I'm so proud of the progress Rwanda has made. And it's a beacon of hope for all of us. So as you reflect on that journey, what would you say has really enabled Rwanda to thrive in spite of its very dark history?
2: Yeah, uh, it has been, I think, two things. One being Leadership, amazing leadership that has helped Rwandans to find homegrown solutions to the major challenges. That's basically that, because when I look back and I see, for example, how to handle the genocide criminals, how to try to find reconciliation, the Gachacha which is in popular justice, has helped a lot to reduce or to ease the tension among our population. So homegrown solution to the challenges we have had, and I can enumerate many, many of them.
1: It's so heartwarming to see the role of entrepreneurs such as yourself. Obviously, this is a show about entrepreneurship and innovation. Uh, What role have entrepreneurs played in this transformation in Rwanda, and what catalytic support systems have enabled them to thrive?
2: Resilience, support, working together as a society. We have had the chance to have regular meetings together to find solutions to the challenges. You know that we are a small country, land locked to the sea, but believe me or not, We think that we are land linked to the sea because we have territories that are also markets. So from a challenge, we transformed it into an opportunity. That's how we started talking French and English, even Swahili, to be able to communicate with the region. Very few countries around are three lingual, meaning French, English, and Swahili, and even mother tongue, which is Kinyarwanda, which is the one example. Three is the strong support from the government. Uh, we have institutions like the National Industrial and Research Development Agency, the Rwandan Development Board. We have uh, several other entities, and even non for profit organizations from kind of like BPN, which is Business Partners Network, organization like Bigger Future that have helped us to, to think differently. I've been through, for example, a course of Bigger Future, where in fact it's a change of mindset. How to look 10 years ahead and, and change yourself. First think not as an entrepreneur but as a person. Because if now today we are on 2023 and then I want to be successful in 2030 or 2033. Uh, I need to be, first of all, in good health. So how, first of all, you you take care of yourselves before getting there. And that's how maybe some of us became even spiritually more fit, because uh, that's also a way to have a good balance and to see things differently.
3: Thank you so much, Robert. I love that. Think first as a person and then as an entrepreneur. I think that's something that everybody can go away with. You know, when I think about your story, it mirrors what happened in Rwanda so nicely. And our team actually interviewed you some time ago. We're going to release a video, you know, later on. But, you know, just thinking about it, the fact that you experienced this tragedy personally. You know, these days we use the word tragic so in such a blasé fashion. You know, uh, you go to the restaurant, you get bad food and you say it was tragic. Or you go to, you know, the fashion show and you say the fashion was tragic. You know, but people... We need to understand this was an actual tragedy. And somehow you are standing here today, having experienced things that nobody wants to experience really. So could you just take us through some of that? We know your story is so powerful and so profound. And maybe we should just back up a little bit to pre all of this, pre-1994, when you were working with Manu Metal, right? And then when it happened and how you got here today.
2: In fact, uh, before genocide, I was not working with Canada. I was, in fact, uh, upcountry in the northeast, leading a uh, rice mill. The was a cooperative, funded by or supported by Canadian-funded organization, and we had two hundred fifty hectares of land, a rice mill, and then also a research center, multiply seeds, four hundred and sixty cooperative members, and then that's where we were like working together towards a really, it was an interesting project of development where you see changes, with very small rice growers, uh, different challenges. One that was just before the genocide. People should understand that genocide is just only the top of the iceberg, because to get to that level, things were bulbing up under the surface. So issues of uh, inequalities in terms of getting jobs, issues of inequalities even between genders, ladies uh, always behind, mm. uh, regional preferences, difficulties to get a passport, to get your right, even the driving license, mm. had to battle, to give you just my own experience. I finished a major in my high school, in one of the prominent schools in Rwanda. And then I, I couldn't get a space, a university scholarship while I was the major, so meaning the, the top of the class, just because I was not coming from the right uh, region of the country. And then I was at that time even on the national team. So I was so proud. At a given time, I was thinking that maybe Rwanda government wants me to stay in Rwanda, not getting a scholarship or outside the country, mm-hmm. because uh, they want me to keep uh, playing for the national team, as I was proud. But no, then even for the National University of Rwanda, I didn't get in a, a space. That's how I kind of was like a wake up call Because I had the uh, parents with good situation, I kind of was so a little bit not very embedded in you know, the, 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 the situation. But when that happened to me, I was like 20 years old, I understood really the magnitude of balance. And that's how things started. So
3: how did you get into money metal?
2: So what happened, because in fact, things were getting worse, worse and worse. And then, of course, uh, starting uh, killings of opponents. And then they were starting like uh, blocking roads. And one day I said, my wife was staying in, in Kigali because uh, it was difficult to leave where I was working. And then I was leaving home on Monday morning, coming back on Friday and mm-hmm. stay the weekend at home. And then I said to, to myself, one day I will woke up, the country will be divided. So I couldn't, I would not be able to come and uh, be with my family. So wow. then I decided to start searching for a job in Kigali. Mm-hmm. And then, by someone who was subcontractor to where we were working, uh, Belgium, connected mm-hmm. me to Belgium CEO of Money Metal at that time. And then I went through interviews three months before genocide. It was in February. And then we agreed that I have started the 1st of May, ninety four. And then everything happened. And then I think I mentioned in my video how I've been saved twice due to the fact that people recognized me as a sports person. So we flee to Burundi and then I did a U-turn. I came back with the new leadership. So I was really... The messages I got through during the War of Liberation convinced me that this right that I want to come back and rebuild the country with them. So that's how I came back here to Rwanda. And it is by an interesting coincidence that the then CEO of Manmetal happened to know that I was back in Rwanda because there were no cell phones. I didn't ha- had his contact in Europe. <laughs> so for me, it was over. And then when I was coming back, my mind was fully focused to say, I have to, co- to go back in the Northeast, rebuild cooperative, starting again. That was in my mind. And then just uh, July, towards the end, someone told me there is a Belgian person who is looking after you and he, he happened to know that you are in Kigali, so he gave me the address. I went there, he put me in his car, then mm-hmm. we went to Metal. He took pictures around and then he gave me the keys and said now you are the CEO at Interim. That's how I started Madmetal for the first of August.
3: Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, just a few things, just because some of our listeners don't know your story. Two things I want you to touch on. First of all, you said you're on the national team for what sport, you know? For, for volleyball. Um, yes. For volleyball. Okay, awesome. But secondly, you know, how was the, should I call it escape? from Rwanda, how were you able to actually move to Burundi? You said people recognized you as, you know, a sports person. Could you just tell us a little bit about what that process was like for you and for your family?
2: Thank you, it's great question. Uh, People who have had the chance to see some movies about the genocide in Rwanda, have noticed that there have been militias coming to houses to kill people. And then from my own experience is that uh, on the 8th of April, remember that the genocide was triggered, let's say, by the crash of the plane of the president, which happened on the 6th of April. So two days later in the morning, a group of militias came to my house because I was on the list to be killed by the fact that I was a the and the northeast. in fact, is uh, near the border of Uganda. That's where, in fact, the Rwanda Patriotic Front was coming from. And then they were I was accused that uh, all my movements uh, from that part of the country, I was bringing infiltrators. That's what the main reason that I was really targeted. So that morning they came. Uh, so I, instead of waiting them to come into my house, I had my wife. I said, look, instead of all being killed here, it's me they want, uh, let me go. So uh, raise my kids as you can. Uh, I love you and bye. So that's how I went back. I went up, I went out on the main gate, thinking honestly that this is my last minute to leave. And then all of a sudden, one person among those says, But that's Robert from the national team of volleyball. So he happened to know me. And then I quickly, instinctively, I went to him. I say, God brings you to me. And he said, Do you have money? I said, Yes have you anything that compromises you in your home? I said, no, because they were convinced that I had people (laughs) hidden in my house, infiltrators hidden in my house. Uh, Then he shouted, no, let's go in and see. And then he said, me, stay closer to me. So that's how they came in the house, tried to find anything that compromises me. So they didn't find anything. So I could now negotiate with them. They gave them money. So we were carrying money from Kigali to up country, so I had really a substantial amount of money, amount of money. for uh, paying the salaries. Uh, so you know, that's fact that uh, God gave me that money to go through all those uh, checkpoints, yeah. the, the roadblocks. I mm-hmm. was giving money. My wife was uh, getting out. They say, "No, you, I'm Robert. Is somehow, yeah, you can go through, but your wife has to stay." So and then I had to pay money. They say, "Okay." The following, okay, you pay, but I'm sure you're not past the other roadblocks and so on and so on until we get to the south of the country near the border of Burundi. Such a great story, Robert. And it just yeah. shows,
1: number one, your resilience, your tenacity, but also how God showed up for you in so many ways. Can you just quickly underscore some of those points?
2: You would be surprised because at that time I was not a very faithful Person, just probably a good person, and then in fact, honestly speaking, even though when I crossed the border of, of, of the country of the border and going to to Burundi, I looked in the sky. I say thank you God, and you put sports in my life. What I promise you is that I will never stop. But of course, when things were evolved, I heard many people, on close family died, my close friends, and I said no. That how how come we God can allow that. So honestly, here I would say that I became atheist for uh, 15 years, and it is only back in 2009 that something triggered the change. I met a friend that I knew, and he was really someone drinking a lot of uh, alcohol, uh, suffering from this normal life, and then he said, "No." I'm born again. And then I laughed, I laughed, I laughed, I laughed. Like, <laughs> I couldn't stop. I said, you, I can't believe that. And then he was with someone who has the gift of prophecy. And then he told me many things of my past that I thought nobody can know. <laughs> and then I was really blown away. I was astonished. I was surprised. And from that time, it's the one who triggered my change. So I started to say this can't be human so how can he know my grandfather's sicknesses that even today even my aunt doesn't know because my dad passed away so and then it triggered something and it was a journey since that time of course rise, fall rise, fall but surely getting up and up and up getting involved in my church getting involved in morning prayers, getting weekly fasting. So today I'm someone who every Friday if I fast. I pray every 4 a.m. in the morning. I have felt the power of prayer and then give back. So my Christian life community, I'm in charge of apostolate so I believe that I've received a lot. I want to give back. and It has been an interesting journey but every year better and better. And then I strongly believe today that once you make one step, God makes a thousand.
1: I love it. And I appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that uh Christian walk is a daily struggle to get closer to God Um, having those practices and having a support network and essentially separating yourself is critical. So thank you for that vulnerability. I know that in your business, uh, you've made a point of honoring those who have survived the genocide as a part of your corporate culture. Just briefly tell us about that, this culture of trust and dignity in the workplace, and how you emphasize that in your company.
2: First of all, I leave from my, let's say, my study was I corporate strategy and economic policy major for my master. I've always been told that human resources are the number one assets on top. So for me, and then I'm talking without my now heart as a believer. So that was as a manager. I have always focused my efforts to employees because I knew that when you have a good employee, when you help her or him to give the right direction, and he goes extra or she goes extra mile. Yeah. When you You have a great vision. You give him enough space to express. There are even employees that are better than you, honestly, giving the right, the strategic decision that has helped us to do the right thing. Maybe I was wrong. That's very important. Now, since I have been, a grew, I grew, and then I still grow, I hope, in my faithfulness, I believe that I am there only as a steward company. There are families, there are people definitely who praise day and night to have a meal at home <laughs> or the table. And then the fact that I'm there to lead, I always in the morning ask for wisdom to be able to do the right thing because I have people in my responsibility. And then on top of that, we have clients. We are there to do an added value. How, what money stands for? is to find solution to give a better comfort in order to make the furniture. But for me, it's not a furniture. It's a lifestyle. It's a comfort. If you make a bed, is to help someone to relax. Eh? When you sit and you have a chair, and then you have eight hours to sit on that chair for your work, what I offer is a comfort to sit better. So my way of seeing the company today is to convince all the stakeholders that I'm doing the right thing and then to hear them, to see how I can do better to serve them.
1: I love it. The concept of stewardship and the concept of blessing people and prioritizing their needs and serving them obviously has set you apart. And now you own 100% of this dynamic company that you've just described is delighting customers and going beyond just infrastructure and furniture to, to actually creating and improving their welfare. Just briefly tell us, you know, how you were able to take over 100% of the company and the growth trajectory that you've experienced in the last few years.
2: Yeah, I firmly believe that to get, even in the in shareholding, has a lot to gain trust to It's trustworthy. And when 94, just two months after the aftermath, one day I was just training in my my car, I was about to go. And then someone was just out staring at me. And then I I say, what's happening? And he told me, Robert, I would like to say that I like you very much. Every morning when you get in, you find out outside talking, because at that time people were, Jobless. I'm telling you, that was uh, September, October '94. You can imagine it was just uh, the aftermath. Uh, things, economy was not yet getting any motion, and then so we were among the very rare company that has reopened the doors. So people were just around there, and then, in fact, our premises is in downtown of Kigali, so near the main central market. <laughs> so a lot of people was gathering there, and then in the morning. I'll say hello good morning then they are entering my office good evening say uh, good night and then when they sometimes they say oh you know, boss uh, we are thirsty We'd like uh, can you want to, to drink something you know how it goes and i was uh, sharing what i have and he told me that i like you you are a humble man and uh, for that i would like to tell you that uh, i know where during the, the genocide people looted your finished product and uh, four or five warehouses that are nearby. People were thinking that the day all this will, will finish, they will start selling those products as it is their own. And then I don't know, is it the Holy Spirit is, I don't know, what. but I quickly went to the Prosecutor General They gave me, I don't know in English how to say, but it's a permit to open everywhere, Where and then he gave me two soldiers to come with me. And then with that guy, say this is one place they opened. where well, then we found our finished product store in that place. So I brought back things for a value of forty million, one and francs. So I think it is was like uh, two hundred thousand US dollar or even more. It was a crazy time. So you know, complete chaos. And then my predecessor, I told you he came. He took pictures. Uh, the store of finished product was empty. So I could have put them, sell on my own. And he was in Europe. But instead, what I did, I just uh, lists of all the things that has came back. I sent to him, he was amazed, surprised that someone who was from the former government is able to, in that nightmare, in that uh, chaos, organize the fact that we can even restart with our own stock to sell. And then I think I gained his trust more than 100%. So then, the first opportunity, he said, I want you to be a shareholder and then I start as a 10% shareholder. And in 2000, he was about to retire and he told me, Look, Robert, I give you one year of first of reviews. Either you buy if you can have a loan or we sell all together because at 10%, if someone else come, you will be so minority that you never have any more say in a company or you find a partner. And that was that adoption that came in. So I found a partner at the time, who Rwanda now, then who discussed with the owner and then they agreed to a price. And then he was so amazed that I didn't ask him for anything. It was yeah. transparent. Then the day after, after the transaction, he said, Robert, just to say thank you, I give you 15% more. So wow. then I became 25%. Yeah.
3: Integrity definitely pays Because someone else could have said, you know what, God did this for me. Let me sell the equipment and start my own business. But look at how, you know, being honest has paid off. And it's really a remarkable story from so many angles. We could, you know, look at this from so many different ways. But right now we're going to go into something a little more fun. We're going to go into what we call a lightning round. We're going to just ask you many questions and we want you to answer very quickly. Don't think about it too long. This is a fun segment. So I'll ask you a question. You can repeat the question, but in 30 seconds, you know, give me the first answer that comes to mind. Now, if you could play any other sport, what sport would you play apart from volleyball?
2: I would play football.
3: Football, why? Great
2: sports. Uh, <laughs> the king sports in the world.
3: <laughs> the king sport in the world. Excellent. Thanks for that. Okay, so what is one thing that people should know about Rwanda?
2: People who know Rwanda... Uh, to be able to develop uh, homegrown solutions to face the challenges we have.
3: Oh, yeah. Awesome. You know, speaking of homegrown solutions, when we think about Manu Metal, we know that you guys make, you know, wonderful, well-crafted materials. What's your favorite material that you've crafted at Manu Metal?
2: We crafted the main stage of the recent Commonwealth Head of State of Mm -hmm. Government. I'm so proud of it.
3: That's awesome. Okay, one more thing. What's the biggest difference, you would say, between being the CEO of your own company and being like an appointed CEO in somebody else's company?
2: The main difference from being your own CEO of your own company is that you have the agility to bring the soul, your soul, and being able to convince the whole stakeholders as you feel. So Mm -hmm. it's just your soul. The soul It's important. A company has a soul, has uh, the values. So it's easier when you are the owner to instill that soul and the values within uh, the spectrum of the company.
3: You know, typically a business owner will talk about blood, sweat and tears. And um, when you're the CEO of your own company, sometimes it's very hard to sleep. So how do you find rest?
2: I find rest through prayers, through exercises, physical exercises music. I like gospel and soul musics.
1: Terrific. This has been such an inspiring session. We really enjoyed engaging with you, Robert. We could listen to you for hours. Your story is just one of tenacity and courage, humility, and kindness. And Chini said it, integrity, integrity. There's no hiding place when you combine integrity and excellence, obviously with the foundation being your faith. And as we round up, we always like to ask our guests what God is teaching them at this time, what they are hearing from God, what they are learning, that they would like to share with the audience. So, Robert, what what are you hearing from God? What are you learning in this season?
2: I hear, I understand that we all are created to serve and to praise God. That's to serve. That is my call. That is what I heard. I have to serve. I have to Wherever I am, what I'm doing is to serve and to praise God, the Almighty, the Creator of the world. And yeah, amazing uh, wonders we see.
1: And is there something in, in the Word of God and the Scripture that has stuck out to you recently that you've either learned or heard about or that you've read?
2: The fact that uh, the Virgin Mary said yes when the angel Gabriel came uh, without hesitation, giving the news which is, in fact, impossible as a human being to have a baby without having not met a man is for me something to say when you believe, uh, trust that God can do remarkable things. It's uh, just say yes and then hear what he has for your life.
1: I love that. Say yes to God and be obedient and sensitive to his guidance and let him walk with you through the fire. And so, through the storms, but also onto victory. So, thank you, that's been amazing. Thank I'm you so much. How can we be praying for you as a community?
2: I always uh, ask what we call seven spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit pray for me for getting more wisdom, counsel, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord, understanding. Yeah, that is the daily prayer for me. That's because I know I I need it to keep going, to keep understanding more of the wonders of God, but also to fear him, to have the strength to continue. Yeah, that's what I would like people to pray for me.
1: From your lips to God's ears, and to that I say a resounding amen. amen. Robert, we wish you tremendous success and impact and continued stewardship of all that God has placed into your care. Keep making God proud in the marketplace and we'll be rooting for you. Thank you for being on this show. And thank you, Chini, for being a fantastic show host. And we wish you all a wonderful afternoon, evening, morning, wherever you are. God bless you all. God bless you. you.
0: We are grateful for the opportunity to serve the community and see listeners tune in from over 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be the best way to stay connected is to join a foundation group with other faith-driven entrepreneurs like yourself. There's no cost, no catch, in person or online. You can meet an hour a week with your peers from your backyard across the continent or on the other side of the world. You can also stay connected by signing up for our monthly newsletter at africa.faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. All this is made possible through the special help of all our friends. Thanks to the volunteers leading entrepreneurial groups and watch parties to spark this movement in your city and country. We are grateful for you and hope you'll continue to share
2: this with friends.